Hello, everybody, and welcome back to our Bible study series on the book of Job. If you have a Bible handy, please open it up to Psalm 1. For those who may be confused by that, we have Job speaking and Job's friends speaking throughout the book of Job. And allowing scripture to interpret scripture, we understand where the personages in the book of Job are coming from based on other places in scripture. St. James speaks very highly of Job in chapter 5 of James. He tells us the point of the whole book and the reason that is in the Bible in his fifth chapter. But all of Job's friends speak from the law and from high theology. And there is almost almost no better encapsulation of the thesis of the law in Psalm 1. It's one of the best ways to put it, that if you do good, you get good. And if you do bad, heaven help you, you are going to receive a whole lot of bad. So that said, let us hear the word of our Lord from Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's highlight that. Remember the thesis of the law. Do good to get good, and if you do bad, heaven help you, you will receive so much Bad. If you want further reading on this, Deuteronomy chapters 27 and 28 lay it out such that the entire history of the kingdoms of Israel and Judah reflect the curses of the law in Deuteronomy 28. But here, King David writes, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. He doesn't stand in the way of sinners. He is not evil. Instead, his delight is in God's law. What benefits does that bring? He is like a tree planted by streams of water. He is firm. He has roots. He is not moved. And he is nourished by the sun, the fresh water, by the soil that is replenished with nutrients. Yields its fruit in its season. He does the right thing. It is wise he lives a wise life, otherwise he would not be bearing fruit worth eating. In all that he does, he prospers. If you obey God's holy law, the law says, you will be blessed. And in verse 5, though, well, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. Well, what judgment? Presumably the final judgment. God's judgment. But also here on earth... The wicked are supposed to be judged and slaughtered before the king. The sinners will not stand in the congregation of the righteous. They are never going to belong with God's people, and thus they will never receive 
God's blessings. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, that is, the righteous man, the one who loves and delights in God's law, well, he's, he's walking in God's paths. He's close to God. God knows him. But the way of the wicked will perish. There is a day when all wickedness and all wicked people will be extinct. So with that, we turn to Job chapter 22, where Job's friend Eliphaz is going to speak to Job. Now, while you're turning there, Eliphaz is the first of Job's friends to speak. And I want to remind everybody, as we read his words, that will sound cruel to Job. We have to remember, other scriptural authors quote Job's friends all the time. If it's not a direct quote... It is a, a reference to what uh, Job's friends say. They are not stupid men. They are wise men. In fact, I would almost go so far as to say that in their own way, they are godly and they have a firm faith in our Lord. Later on in the book of Job, a young man named, named Elihu will come in and foolishly, rashly decide he's going to correct the record for everybody there and then, well, more or less regurgitate the same talking points that Job's friends say. Because these men are so wise, they've already said it. Eliphaz, as we read his words, it's not good to see him in chapter 22 as just accusing Job out of nowhere. To the contrary, we're going to look at a man who is afflicted with compassion fatigue and at the same time trying to forcefully assert theology that the Bible teaches. So let's hear him explode at Job in chapter 22. Hear the word of our Lord. Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, Can a man be profitable to God? Surely he who is wise is profitable to himself. Is it any pleasure to the Almighty if you are in the right? Or is it gain to him if you make your ways blameless? Is it for your fear of him that he reproves you and enters into judgment with you? Is not your evil abundant? There's no end to your iniquities. For you have exacted pledges of your brothers for nothing and stripped the naked of their clothing. You've given no water to the weary to drink and you have withheld bread from the hungry. The man with power possessed the land, and the favored man lived in it. You've sent widows away empty, and the arms of the fatherless were crushed. Therefore snares are all around you, and sudden terror overwhelms you, or darkness so that you cannot see, and a flood of water covers you. Is not God high in the heavens? See the highest stars, how lofty they are. But you say, what does God know? Can he judge through the deep darkness? Thick clouds veil him so that he does not see, and he walks in the vault of heaven. Will you keep to the old way the wicked men have trod? They were snatched away before their time. Their foundation was washed away. They said to God, depart from us, and what can the Almighty do to us? Yet he filled their houses with good things, but the counsel of the wicked is far from me. The righteous see it and are glad. The innocent one mocks at them, saying, Surely our adversaries are cut off. And what they left the fire has consumed. Agree with God and be at peace. 
thereby good will come to you. Receive instruction from his mouth and lay up his words in your heart. If you return to the Almighty, you will be built up. If you remove injustice far from your tents, if you lay gold in the dust and gold of a fear among the stones of the torrent bed, then the Almighty will be your gold and your precious silver. For then you will delight yourself in the Almighty and lift up your face to God. You'll make your prayer to him and he will hear you and you will pay your vows. You will decide on a matter and it will be established for you and light will shine on your ways. For when they are humbled, you say it is because of pride, but he saves the lowly. He delivers even the one who is not innocent, who will be delivered through the cleanness of your hands. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Now you might note that I read very quickly. Why? Well, we just had two chapters, chapters 20 and 21, that form a discourse in about the center of the book of Job on justice. Job's friend brings up that God is just. He, when we see bad things happening, we can't separate this from the fact that God is just. So, of course, somebody has to be deserving something if God is going to make a move against a man. But Job replies, so where is he? And why do I see all these wicked people prospering? Come on, you know better than that. It's not that simple. And I see plenty of wicked people getting away with it. After about 18 chapters worth of conversation, starting with Job cursing the day of his birth, each one of his friends eventually just breaks. They've had enough of Job pointing his finger up at the sky and asking God, why? They've had enough of Job saying, I'm not letting this go until God provides me an answer. Eliphaz, it's his turn to be fed up. So I read quickly because I imagine that everything he's saying here, being so much more drastic than his previous words to Job, it really does seem to me like he's exploding out of frustration here and constantly having to hear Job sidle up just an inch away from heresy or blasphemy, just an inch away and then back down. So finally he says, can a man be profitable to God? What's the answer to that? No. God doesn't need your good works. Surely he who is wise is profitable to himself. Oh, you can get a lot done for yourself if you're wise. And by wise, we mean obedient to God. Sure. Oh yeah, you can live a great skillful life for yourself, but does God need your good works? Heaven forbid. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He knows everything. He is everywhere. He can do anything. He doesn't need your offerings. That is for you. So, Eliphaz says, All of your claims to being blameless, Job, that's worthless to God. Now we understand in hindsight, Eliphaz is wrong. In the very first chapter, God, the author of Holy Scripture, declares Job blameless and upright. A man who turned away from evil and sought good. That's how God saw Job. 
But, to Eliphaz's credit, Holy Scripture does declare in the Psalms and in Romans that all of us are sold under sin. All of us are sinners. So none of our good works, nothing that we do out here is going to be any more than filthy rags in God's eyes. So in verse 3 he says, Is it any pleasure to the Almighty if you are in the right? Or is it gain to him if you make your ways blameless? Well, it's not gain to him. But if we look back at the first chapter when the devil comes up with the rest of the angels and sees God and says, Hmm, how's it going, God? I've been, I've been traveling a lot. And God brags about Job. He doesn't care about your good works insofar as it makes you holy or not. God has no profit out of that. But he does take pleasure in your good works. Eliphaz, not seeing these things and not being a prophet, cannot discern them. So he can only refer back to theology, to the word of God as they had it in his day, and say, God doesn't need you, therefore this is junk to him. In verse 4, is it for your fear of him that he reproves you and enters into judgment with you? Job isn't going to disagree, by the way, that God is entering into judgment with him. Job has been complaining that God is treating him like an enemy. So Eliphaz, assuming that Job is correct, says, do you think God is doing this to you because you're such a great guy? Come on. God isn't going to punish the good. That's a silly notion. Heaven forbid. So, process of elimination, Job. You must have done something. There must be something God is trying to correct. So in verse 5 he asks, Is not your evil abundant? There is no end to your iniquities. And then he's going to start listing things, accusations against Job. All of us here, if we were to hear a friend say, Is not your evil abundant? being poor, miserable sinners in need of a Savior, we would say to Eliphaz, yeah. Yeah, as a matter of fact, my evil is pretty abundant. That's why I go to confession. That's why I rejoice in my baptism. That's why I take the Eucharist. I need forgiveness. Whether or not Job was an exception to this, don't get me wrong, I, I will never say the man was impeccable. He has confessed in this book to having committed sins in the past. This isn't applicable to Job. God declared him blameless. God does not treat him as somebody whose evil is abundant and whose iniquities have no end. But here Eliphaz is going to start lobbing accusations. And I want us to pay attention to the basis for which he would say this. We shouldn't assume that this is slander. Unfortunately, some commentaries, especially the Lutheran Study Bible, they'll say that these accusations from Eliphaz are slanderous in some sense. I don't think that's necessarily the case. You have exacted pledges of your brothers for nothing and stripped the naked of their clothing. What does he mean by this? What did Job do for a living? Before all this calamity hit him, 
he was some sort of Bedouin because he had a lot of cattle. He was a cattle rancher. He had thousands and thousands of animals. And how did these people live? Well, they bought and sold their cattle. If Job, in order to provide for his family, took money from people, whether that's according to a pledge or according to property, Eliphaz is saying, Job, you know that how you've been living as a cattle rancher impoverishes people. You're selling goats to them. You're selling bulls to them. Sure, but you're selling it. And where is the charity in that, Job? Verse 7, you have given no water to the weary to drink, and you have withheld bread from the hungry. I don't see your charity right now, Job. I see a lot of complaining. I don't see a catalog of good works. Oh, sure, sure. You used to have nightly and morning sacrifices for your kids to make sure that none of them cursed God and deserved to perish. But what about the poor? What about generosity? You were a businessman, and I'm sure at some point you did not give to those who needed it. Certainly here, in your state of self-pity, feeling sorry for yourself, you haven't been giving to anybody, you haven't even been seeking that. Here, me and Bildad and Zophar, we've been sitting here with you to show you compassion. And to this point, you're not even going to take anything that you have left and give to anybody else. Why, Job, your compassion is failing as it failed when you were a cattle rancher. The man with power possessed the land, and the favored man lived in it. Of course the rich got what you had to sell. If you had land, of course the rich could afford it, but where is the charity in that? You have sent widows away empty, and the arms of the fatherless were crushed. Therefore, snares are all around you, and sudden terror overwhelms you. Now again, I asked, let's pay attention to the basis for these accusations. Eliphaz is exploding at him with what sounds like hostility when we read it out loud, much more hostility than he's shown in the past, He's outright accusing Job of sinning. But it's not the kind of sin that says, I am going to be a highway robber that stabs people to death and then takes their money and clothing. It is not the kind of sin that says, Ah, a beautiful young woman, I am going to rape her for my own pleasure. Job is not a slaver. He is somebody who buys and sells cattle. That's his profession, and Eliphaz is making the case that no matter how good Job thinks he is, somebody fell through the cracks. Somebody needed help that could not afford it. And whether or not Job meant to, there are times in which sins of omission at least are going to be involved in there. Somebody tries to buy a goat, they don't have enough money. Somebody tries to get something from Job, and Job is too busy to help them when they are in their time of need. This isn't necessarily slander. This is Eliphaz saying, whether or not you know it, you are guilty, Job. Therefore, 
snares are all around you and sudden terror overwhelms you, or darkness so that you cannot see and a flood of water covers you. The flood of water is probably a reference to his tears because Job has talked about crying late into the night. He has spoken of his pain in this fashion. The sudden terror, Job has spoken about how every time he goes to sleep, he has these nightmares. So he's saying that poetically, and he's saying, listen, even if you don't think you did anything wrong, you did. You didn't do the good that you should have done. You did not take the opportunities you could have. And there's poor people all around us, Job. So now you have everything taken from you. And now you are in this wretched state. Is not God high in the heavens? Job asked, where is God? See the highest stars, how lofty they are. But you say, what does God know? Can he judge through the deep darkness? Thick clouds veil him so that he does not see, and he walks on the vault of heaven. This is a summary statement of Job's prior complaint. Job didn't accuse God of ignorance. He didn't say, what does God know? We can forgive Eliphaz for a little bit of that distortion, given that, well, it's been a long, drawn-out argument between these four men. But Job did say earlier in this book, how could God possibly relate to me? He's king of the universe. If he speaks to me, I'm going to be terrified. There's no way for me to have a, a fair case here. I need a redeemer. I'm going to hold on to God because he's got to answer for this somehow. There must have been a mistake in heavenly court. But I recognize he's up there. I'm down here. How could God possibly relate to my situation? Eliphaz interprets this as Job saying, God doesn't know what he's talking about because he can't see this. So in verse 15, he continues, Will you keep to the old way that wicked men have trod? They were snatched away before their time. Their foundation was washed away. God, they said to God, depart from us, and what can the Almighty do to us? Job, there are plenty of people in history that have died, that got what was coming to them, that had the same attitude I think you're having. There are so many men out there who say God is ignorant. What does he see? What does he say? Uh, if we might entertain me just a little bit, there's a UFC fighter named Conor McGregor. Famous guy. Very, very popular. Irish fighter. He got away with using capoeira moves and all sorts of other things. And such was his reputation that at one point in his arrogance, he said, You know, I, I bet you I could beat up Jesus in a fight. I bet you I could kick Jesus' butt. What's he going to do to me? A little carpenter guy. And then, next thing you know, in Conor McGregor's next fight, his professional fight, he takes one wrong step backwards and his shin snaps in half. If you ever look at the footage, there is no reason his shin should have just snapped in half like that. Nobody kicked it. He didn't get a hammer thrown into the ring. Out of nowhere, his shin just snaps in half and suddenly he's screaming in pain there in the octagon. There was a man who said, what can the Almighty do to me? 
and look what happened to him. Next thing you know, for we should be grateful to God for it, because next thing you know, Conor McGregor was going back to church and had his children baptized. But I digress. Eliphaz has a point. In history, there have been plenty of people who mocked at God and laughed at the Almighty, and the response was God saying, oh, you're going to mock at me. Okay. Fine. Let's see what happens to you. Nietzsche says God is dead, and God says Nietzsche is dead after ten long years of madness and being generally worthless. Congratulations, Nietzsche, you mocked at God, and this is what happened to you. Verse 18, yet he filled their houses with good things. God still blessed these men. Oh, Job, you have a point. But the counsel of the wicked is far from me. Verse 18. If we turn back to Psalm 1 for just a moment, what does the last verse say? The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Blessed is the man who, not, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners. Eliphaz is speaking this before King David did. If you don't walk in the counsel of the wicked, instead going for righteousness, then God knows your ways. He knows your counsel. He's the one providing your counsel. But the way of the wicked is far from God. And so Eliphaz first says, the counsel of the wicked is far from me. The righteous see it and are glad. They rejoice at the destruction of the wicked. The innocent one mocks at them. Of course. We say, this is what you said about God. This is what happened to you. Look at you. Look at the irony of it. Saying, surely our adversaries are cut off and what they left the fire has consumed. It's no accident that he brought up the fire. There are still probably plenty of ashes from when the fire of heaven fell down and destroyed much of Job's life. After, that is, the raiders came and had their way. Look at you, Job. Clearly, if you've had this attitude of saying, what does God know? Then you're, you're facing the fate of the wicked here. Don't you recognize how your attitude is contributing to this? So verse 21, he says, agree with God, be at peace. Thereby good will come to you. And all of us Lutherans say yes and amen. If we have sinned, we must go to the Lord in confession. 1 John 1, 8 and 9. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will cleanse us of our unrighteousness. Will forgive us our sin and cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. Eliphaz is speaking the truth. Oh, if you do this, if you sinned, yes. Good will come to you. Receive instruction from his mouth and lay up his words in your heart. If you return to the Almighty, you will be built up. If you remove injustice far from your tents, if you lay gold in the dust, get rid of your greed, Job. I, he's making the assumption Job's all about money here. And gold of Ophir among the stones of the torrent bed, then the Almighty will be your gold and your precious silver. And how the New Testament agrees with Eliphaz saying... 
that our life does not consist of money. St. Paul saying that the love of money is a root of all evil. Absolutely. St. James hammers the rich saying, listen, pal, you got to be humble. You got to start giving stuff away. You got to be generous with your stuff or else you're going to be like a flower of the field. You're going to pass away. Eliphaz is giving godly counsel to a man who doesn't need that particular godly counsel, does he? God declared him blameless. For any one of us, hearing what Eliphaz says, we would say, yes, I have sins of omission. Yes, I know that my evil is abundant. There is no end to my iniquities. I commit thousands of sins every single day. If I'm being generous with myself, I'm sure it's more. And yes, I need to go to confession. I don't want to mock at God and say he doesn't see it. I want to go to confession, receive absolution, and be cleansed from my unrighteousness. And I don't want to be greedy. You're right, Eliphaz. This pastor says to Eliphaz, yes, I want to be generous. Even though I personally don't have much money to begin with. I should still be generous with it. You're right. God is my treasure. Verse 26, then you will delight yourself in the Almighty. Rejoice always, St. Paul says. Again, I say rejoice. Lift up your face to God. You will make your prayer to him and he will hear you. You will pay your vows. You will decide on a matter and it will be established for you and light will shine on your ways. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Oh yes, this applies to the penitent believer who receives grace freely from our Lord. When they are humbled, you say it is because of pride, but he saves the lowly. He delivers even the one who is not innocent, who will be delivered through the cleanness of your hands. And we rejoice to hear what Eliphaz says, because we know that we have our sins. Eliphaz does not hold to such a wooden understanding of the law that no room is there for repentance. He doesn't have any illusions in his mind that, oh, once you're judged, you're judged, and it's over. That's what Job's other friends, Bildad and Zophar, have implied, but Eliphaz, having blown up at Job and laid down the law really hard on his heart, says, but even if you have sinned, we worship a merciful God who can forgive you. Amen to that. There's just one problem. In the final chapter of Job, what does our Lord say? You've spoken wrongly about me. Because this doesn't apply to Job. This is a man who is already justified by faith. This is a man who is already blameless in my sight. This is not his situation. As correct as Job's friends are theologically, they do not understand the freedom that God has for these odd, exceptional circumstances that teach us, the believer, about steadfastness and relationship with the Lord, where we really see his mercy and his compassion poured forth on our lives. Eliphaz He's speaking about law and gospel, while Job is going through the experience of the theology of the cross, which we will be getting into towards the end of this Bible study in Job. They're related doctrines, of course. 
but not always applicable in the same sense at the same time. That is the crucial thing that this wise man, and dare I say it, even a godly man like Eliphaz, who understands law and gospel this concisely, he's missing it. And Job knows that he's missing it. But we will get into that next week as we hear his response to his friend. But until then, our Lord bless you and keep you. Amen and amen.